0: Today we're going to talk about Daniel, his vision of the four beasts, and uh, I want to tell you that this week the Lord taught me a lesson, and as we go through I'll I'll show you. I did did something today that I always tell y'all not to do, (laughs) and uh, let's pray and just get right into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, thank you for your mercy and your grace, and uh, Lord, this is one of the more difficult chapters in the word of God, but I believe you can give us an understanding, and I believe that you can help us to see an application here, and I pray that you would just hide me behind your cross, behind the cross, and uh, let my words be your words overcome all of my insecurities and inadequacies, I confess to you, Lord, that I'm nothing but clay in the hands of the potter. And so give us an ear to hear, give us a heart to obey, and uh, we'll give you the praise for all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, probably if, if, if we were not going through the book of Daniel in a, an expositional fashion, I probably would be tempted to skip over Daniel chapter 7 just because it is a difficult uh, particular chapter of the Bible to look at. There's these four beasts, these, uh, these creatures. And, uh, and I was tempted to think, you know, what, what kind of personal application can anybody, is anybody going to get out of this this morning as I go through Daniel and, and look at these four beasts? And God have mercy on me because God just convicted me and He said, this is my word. And my word is, is all-powerful, is, is living, is sharper than a two-edged sword. And what we're going to see here is the history of the world told from God's perspective. And uh, not many people can say that they've read through and understand the book of Daniel. But I believe that God's going to help us, that we can, we're, we're going to be able to say that. We're going to get to Revelation eventually. I know you think I won't live that long, but if, if, if God's merciful, we'll get to the Revelation and let me tell you this, when John writes Revelation, he assumes that you have read Daniel. You won't be able to understand Revelation unless you've read Daniel. And so there's an underlying assumption in John's writings, that uh, especially Revelation, that you have read the book of Daniel. And so you're going to be able to, to uh, be prepared to read Revelation. Now, uh, let's go on to the next slide. And I'm, I've got several slides, so you just uh, be patient with me this morning, but. The book of Daniel is, is organized in a really specific fashion. This is what we call a chiastic structure. It's based off the letter. We would call it eggs. It's not called that in the Greek. It's key or chi. But the, there's a literary st- a structure of Daniel. and It is very intentional. Uh, it would be. It's almost like hitting us over the head. The Holy Spirit is wanting to say, look, there's a pattern here. I want you to understand. And so this chiastic structure of Daniel, uh, remember chapters 2, through seven are written in Aramaic. The, the book of Daniel is unique. Chapter one is written in Hebrew, two through seven is written in Aramaic, and then uh, the rest of the book is written in Hebrew. And it's uh, it outlines the times of the Gentiles Luke 21 24. Jesus Christ, uh, the Olivet Discourse, he's talking about the end times, the end of the age. And he says, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive and all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles, here's the key word, until, there's a shift, there's, a, there's a, a definite line of demarcation here, until, and here's this phrase, the times of the Gentiles, this is what Daniel chapter 7 is all about here, it's outlining the times of the Gentiles, not to be confused with the fullness of the Gentiles that Paul speaks of in Romans 11, they're two different things, the times of the Gentiles speaks of the time, uh, of the period of time where Israel is under, um, control of, of other nations, that they have uh, dominion over Israel, so to speak. And, uh, and, and that's still the case today. They're surrounded by their enemies. They don't possess the land, all the land that God promised to them. And uh, it's going to get worse for them before it gets better, unfortunately. But I want you to understand the structure. And hopefully, I've designed it in such a fashion that you can see the pattern there. Chapter 2 and Chapter 7 are meant to be parallel. Um, Three and six are to be parallel. In three, you've got uh, the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. In six, you've got Daniel in the lion's den. In four and five, you've got a tale of two kings. One is humbled, but he's restored. The other is proud-hearted and unrepentant, and he dies, and he loses his kingdom in a moment of time. So keep that in mind, and that will help us to understand Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 is to be understood in light of Daniel chapter 2. Okay. Is that, are y'all following me here? There's a definite structure. Okay, Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. Now let's look at Daniel chapter 2 really quickly, just as a reminder. Daniel chapter 2. And you remember King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in this dream he saw a colossal statue. And, uh, and he was troubled by it, he didn't understand, and he called in the magicians to interpret it. And of course they were not able to. Uh, by the way, Daniel chapter 2 has a chiastic structure too. And, and if you were here a couple of Wednesday nights ago, I taught on that. Uh, if you're interested in, I, I think I've got it in a, in a Word document if you want to see it. But, um, but we'll pick up in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 31. And da- here's Daniel's interpretation. He says, You, O king, saw, and behold, a great image, the, this great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Now, some people see five kingdoms here, but as we'll see uh, this morning at the end of chapter 7, it's actually four kingdoms. But that fourth kingdom is in several stages. It's unified, and then there's two legs. You know, the Roman Empire had an eastern leg and a western leg. And also, this this image, there's... um, Okay, let me keep going. Verse 34. You saw till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were iron of clay, and broke them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and become like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them that no place was found for them, and stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the Messiah's kingdom. This is the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and and I hope to teach on this soon. It's really interesting how many times Jesus is referred to as the rock or the stone. Uh, the stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the, uh, of the corner. The chief cornerstone. Alright, then in verse 37 he gives the interpretation. He says, you king are a king of kings. That's an important phrase here. Now It doesn't mean that he's Christ. Christ is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he was saying that Nebuchadnezzar, among royalty, you are choice. Okay. He's the head of gold. Remember in the statue, uh, the, the, the statue here. As you go down the statue, each metal decreases in value. It increases in strength, but it decreases in value. Silver's l- less than gold and, you know, so on and so forth. <clears throat> but he says, you uh, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Now for a while, Nebuchadnezzar thought he had done it. I'm big, ba- I'm big bad Nebuchadnezzar. I'm the king of the world. But God... He's going to humble him, he's going to show him that all of his conquests were not because of his uh, ability, but because of the grace of God. He says in verse 39, I'm not going to read every verse here, but he says, after you shall arise another kingdom. I'm sure that's the part of the dream that really troubled <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, because his, his kingdom's not going to last forever. There's going to be another kingdom, but it's going to be what? Inferior. And then another kingdom of brass, which shall bear over the earth. And the fourth kingdom, and that's the one that we're going to finish up with here uh, today. The fourth kingdom is is referring to Antichrist's kingdom. It shall be as strong as iron, as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things. And then verse 41 shows that there's another stage to the iron kingdom. He says, wherein you saw feet and toes, part of potter's clay, part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. It'll be into an eastern and a western leg. And as for as much as you saw the iron mixed with the miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of the iron and part of the clay. So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Now look at verse 44. And in the days of these kings. Which ones? The days of the the ten kings. Shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. For it shall stand forever. And then in verse 45. He says that the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, it broke in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. And the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. All right, so here we go. We've got four kingdoms. There's going to be a a kingdom of of gold. And who is that kingdom? Anybody remember? Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, right. The second kingdom is silver. That's Medo-Persia. The third kingdom, we're going to find out tonight, excuse me, today, and then next week, and then subsequent weeks, we'll see that that's Greece, Alexander the Great. He's a fascinating character. Uh, And then the fourth kingdom is the kingdom of Rome. Rome is the the empire in power when Christ was crucified. Now, Rome was not conquered in the same way that Medo-Persia was or or, uh, Babylon or Greece. It kind of splintered apart. But there's going to be a revival of the Roman Empire in the last days. And uh, you say, well, I don't think that could ever happen. Well, after the rapture happens, there's a whole lot of stuff that's going to shake up the world. Uh, So don't be so nervous. I'm sure prior to 1948, the people were scratching their heads wondering how Israel was going to be back in the land. But if you wait long enough, history catches up with the Bible. The Bible's true. Uh, the Dome of the Rock is there in Israel right now, and I know people say, well, the temple will never be rebuilt. I'm telling you on the authority of God's Word, the Jewish temple will be rebuilt because God's Word said it would be. And I don't care if there's a gold uh, Dome of the Rock there, and I don't care if there's a Dollar General there because there's one everywhere, right? But, uh, <laughs> but God's going to build His temple. You could be a million miles in the middle of nowhere, and then poof, there's a Dollar General. And that is the answer to the question, where do these people buy their groceries at? Dollar General, of course. All right, next slide, please. Let's get into Daniel 7 and the exposition. We're not going to go through the whole chapter this morning, so don't worry. You'll still get to the state cast before the Methodists do. <laughs> in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of head upon his bed, and, and then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, And behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. The four beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. All right, so let's just break this down. Um, First of all, you notice the chronology. You notice that we're not going in chronological order now. Chapter 7 comes between chapters 4 and 5 chronologically. And there again, the structure, that chiastic structure, that's why 7 is where it is because it parallels chapter 2 even though it occurs chronologically out of sequence as far as the chapter and verse divisions. But it happens in the, in the year of, uh, of Belshazzar. Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his, what? His bed, so most likely he's asleep. Now, we could argue all day long about what's the difference between a dream and a vision, but, but who has time for that? You know, God's going to sort all this out. But, but we get the impression from Scripture that Daniel is gone to bed and he's had a vision and uh, dreams and visions. And it says that he did not write the, the whole thing, but it says he wrote a summary. That's what that phrase means. He told the sum of the matters. Um, we get to... Uh, well... L- let me say this. The, the, the dream that we're going to see... It, there's a difference between um, Nebuchadnezzar's dream and, and Daniel's dream. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. He wrote the sum of the matters, okay? Verse 2, Daniel spake, and he said, I saw in a vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit, but the, word, the Hebrew word and the Aramaic word for uh, wind is the same. It's ruach. The Holy Spirit in Hebrew is the ruach Hakodesh means breath or wind of God. So you have the four, uh, the four winds blowing or agitating, and it says the, uh, the, the sea. And notice Daniel says the great sea. Now what's Daniel's ethnicity? What is he? he is he a, a, a Babylonian? No, he's what? He's a Jew. So he's familiar with the law of Moses, the first five books, the Torah or the, the entirety of the the Old Testament, which is the Tanakh in Hebrew. Um, he, he's aware of that. Okay, so, so he knows what the Bible refers to as the Great Sea. And in the Bible, when you see the Great Sea mentioned in Scripture, and I, I wrote down all the references here. Uh, there may be some listening on Facebook or whatever that can't see the PowerPoint, so I'll read just a few of these. Numbers 34, 6, Joshua 1, verse 4. Joshua 9 verse 1, Joshua 15 verse 11, Joshua 23 verse 4, Ezekiel 47 verse 10 all speak of the great sea being the Mediterranean. So that's, you know, that's where these beasts are coming out of the Mediterranean Sea. <clears throat> it's also idiomatic or symbolic of the gentile world, the masses of people. Um Isaiah 17 verses 12 and 13, Matthew 13 verses 47 and 50, Revelation 13:1. We'll look at that more in depth uh, after a while. Revelation 17:1 and 17:15. Uh, so sometimes the sea represents the masses of humanity, the Gentiles. <clears throat> the four beasts are going to correspond to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and they're they're uh, they're diverse from one another, just like the silver and the gold are distinct from one another. And the brass and the uh, the iron, so they're they're different, and they are they're going to be just like Nebuchadnezzar's dream: Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Now I, I told you that I did something this week that I tell you never to do, and and that brings me to my next point, and that is the Bible is its own interpreter. There's no private interpretation that we are allowed to to give. Now I listened to one of my favorite preachers uh, early early last week. And he put forth this idea that the first beast um, was, was uh, Great Britain because the symbol of Great Britain is a lion, barbary lion, and that the, the eagle was America coming out of Great Britain. And sure enough, I Googled it, and there's a lot of other people that believe that stuff. Don't get your theology from Google. Get it from the Bible because Google will take you all sorts of places. And if you Googled Daniel... All of these critics and skeptics and atheists will tell you Daniel was written by somebody else sometime around uh, 1st century B.C. And the reason being is because they don't like the fact that God predicted the future many years in advance. But see, Ezekiel says that Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. And that would be enough for me. Daniel says he wrote the book of Daniel. By the way, chapters 1 through 6 are written in the the third person. You know, Daniel did this, Daniel did that. From chapter 6 onward, from 7 onward, it's first person. I, Daniel, I saw. I saw the beast. I saw the vision. That's enough for me. But as if that were not enough, Jesus Christ said, Daniel is a legitimate prophet. And that settles it for me. I, I don't care what Wikipedia says. I trust Jesus over Google. But I, I got I got caught up in this thing and I lost I lost about two days of study time this week. Me and Misty both had to work on Friday this week. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was crunching. I was I was crunching. I was nervous because I had gotten so so behind entertaining this idea that's not found in the Bible. This this modern idea that America's there represented in uh, the, the lion and the bear represented by Russia because the Russian bear. You know, We have to be careful trying to interpret the Bible based on newspaper and current events. Don't ever do that. You don't start with the newspaper, you start with the Bible, and then the Bible will show that the newspaper is, is, is fleshing out that what the scripture says is true. So I'm embarrassed to admit that to you, but hey, it happens. The preacher can get off key, but I thank God he got me back on track. That's where your prayers come in. That's where your prayers come in. All right, so let's go to the next. So that brings us to the first beast, and it's not the United States of America, and it's not Great Britain. It's Babylon. It is Babylon. It is that first kingdom. I really enjoy putting together these PowerPoint slides. I hope you appreciate all this modern artwork I've got for your <laughs> perusal this morning. Now, and I drew it freehand. You believe that, don't you? Okay. Now, the scripture says it was like a lion. It didn't say it was a lion. Verse 4, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And I beheld to the wings there were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given unto it. All right, what does all that mean? Glad you asked. It's, it's, a, it's like a lion. Now The lion, some of you are probably hearing the theme to the Lion King right now. He's the king of the jungle, right? He's the king of beasts. And the eagle is the king of the birds. These are regal creatures. If you go to the British Museum, they've got a, a, a portion of the Ishtar Gate captured from Nebuchadnezzar. And you know what's, what the inscriptions of the, uh, of the Ishtar Gate is? It's a winged lion. Go figure. So the winged lion is a symbol of Babylon, even from archaeological uh, research and, and excavation. It's like an eagle. It's the king of birds. Now, he, here's where the green light should have gone off with me right away. I think it was around Wednesday or Thursday, the Lord said, get in your Bible. I was in it already. I don't, don't think I wasn't. The Lord said, get in your Bible and see, and see what the Bible says about the lion. And guess what? In Jeremiah 4, verse 7, Jeremiah 49, 19, Jeremiah 50, 17, and 44, guess who God says the lion is, Nebuchadnezzar? Mystery solved. And uh, one other thing. The Lord woke me up this morning. Hold your place in Daniel 7 and go to Daniel 9 really quick. God does some of his best talking to me like he did to Daniel in sleep. God does some of his best talking to me in my sleep. It's because I'm not uh, not awake and alert to have all my thoughts clouding up what he's trying to tell me. (laughs) Notice what Daniel says in, in chapter 9, verse 2. He says, in the first year of his reign, that's the reign of King Darius, He said, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the Lord, the word of the Lord came to who? Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So the Lord woke me up this morning and he said, Daniel had a copy of Jeremiah. Why is that significant? Because when Daniel sees the dream of the lion, who does he immediately know it is? It's Nebuchadnezzar, because God had told in Jeremiah that the lion is Nebuchadnezzar. Glory to God. Y'all are not as excited about it as I am, but I don't care. I just really don't. <laughs> Lord woke me up this morning and said, Daniel had a copy of Jeremiah. I said, Boom. Yes. Yes, he did. Uh, what else do we know about this? He's like a, a, an eagle. Jeremiah 48:40, 40, 49, 22, and Ezekiel 17, verse 3. Nebuchadnezzar. Remember from Daniel chapter 2, what did Daniel say about him? He is a king of kings, just like the lion is the king of the jungle, just like the eagle is the king of birds. He is regal. He's the, he's the head of gold. That's what the whole gold statue was about in chapter 3. It's because God had shown him how great he was, but he, he, he failed to give glory to God until he, um, until he was humble. Okay? So there was probably never a man... In the history of the Bible, who was ever as close to being a literal beast as who? Nebuchadnezzar. What happened in chapter 4? Remember, he's walking around in pride. This is the great Babylon I built. And he built the hanging gardens of Babylon for his wife because she longed for the mountains. And he built the hanging gardens, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And I'm told that he had a zoo also, that Nebuchadnezzar had a zoo uh, up on the rooftop, and, and many people believe that's probably where he was at during those seven years. You know, he was eating grass and all that stuff, That he, <laughs> he was there in his, uh, his zoo. Um, I don't know. I wasn't there, but, but anyway. But, but the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar, remember he was humbled, and remember his hair and his nails, he had feathers like what? Like a bird and claws like an eagle, right? And after he was humbled, God restored him. And he went from being a beast to what? A man. He was given a man's heart. He was humbled. Are you satisfied that the first beast is Babylon? If not, come see me. After class, You am going to be in the principal's office. All right, let's go back to Daniel 7. Let's go to the next slide. Now we come to the bear. There's this bear And it says, Behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear. Notice it's not a bear, but it's like a bear. And it's raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in his mouth between the teeth of it. And they said unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. Okay? Now, a bear is less regal. A bear is more ponderous. Uh, You know, he's big, bulky. I'm told that the Persian army numbered in the million, and a lot of the battles that Cyrus won, he won without firing a shot, I mean, he showed up on the horizon, and all of a sudden, the people started waving the white flags, and we probably would too, you know, if a million people showed up on the, on the banks of the shore, we'd be like, okay, there's a new sheriff in town, uh, and so Cyrus, uh, he conquered, it was a, he conquered by sheer uh, number, uh, remember Babylon? Remember how Babylon fell? It fell in one night. How did they get it? They crawled underneath the the, the bridge in the Euphrates River. They banked, he dammed up the Euphrates River. He went right under, and Babylon Belshazzar was killed that night, and Babylon was conquered without a battle. They fell in one hour. And so the bear is ponders. Now what about these? Uh, what about it? Raised up on one side. What do we know from history? History has very little to say about the Medes. You know, we talked about that last week. I think about Darius the Mede. Very little said about him. He's probably Cyrus's general, Gabaru. It's like Subaru with a G on, on front. It's pronounced a little different, Gabaru. But we know from history that the dominant empire from this, this conglomerate here is not uh, me- the Medes, but who, the Persians, Cyrus the Persian. So the one raised up, to me it indicates that Cyrus will be the dominant power. And indeed, Cyrus was the one. And Cyrus was the one who gave the decree for the Jews to go back and rebuild their temple. That's how 2 Chronicles ends. It's marvelous, uh, but I don't have time to go into all that. What about the three ribs in his mouth? That's, that's like you and me after we leave the buffet at, at Allen's. <laughs> and What does that mean? It means that we've, we've already had our dinner, right? I think this speaks of the three conquests and I'll give you a little acrostic here, a little uh, um, mnemonic device. Ringing a bell, I'm happy to remember the three, Babylonia, uh, Egypt, and Lydia. These were the three empires. And there were more, Persians conquered more, and I think that's why it says at the end of verse 5, devour more flesh, there will be other conquests. All right, let's go to the next slide. This is the Hellenistic Empire, this is the Greek, verse 6. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon its... The back of its wing, four wings of a fowl. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given unto it. Interesting phrase here. Now again, it's like a leopard. It's less regal. Uh, it's less uh, huge as the bear. But what do we know about leopards? Really fast, one of the fastest animals in the world. <clears throat> the leopard is is shown. Uh, the leopard is not tied with Greece in the, in the Bible per se right now, in this particular verse. When you get to chapter 8, you'll see that, the Greek, uh, that it speaks of the Greek empire. We're, we're a ways out from that. But the, just speaking of the leopard being swift, Jeremiah 5, 6, Hosea, Hosea 13, 7, and Habakkuk 1 and 8. Now this guy, Alexander the Great, uh, he, he uh, took over his father's empire, and by the time he was 29... He had conquered the known world. Maybe next time we study uh, Alexander, I'll have a map up here, and you can see all this conquest. It's amazing. Legend has it that by the time Alexander was 29 years old, that he 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 lie upon his bed weeping because there was nothing left for him to conquer. Can you imagine that? Now, he died when he was about 32, 32, 33. The one thing he couldn't conquer was himself. He was an alcoholic. He was a, a very a, a lascivious type lifestyle. And there's, there's rumors about his death. Perhaps maybe he was poisoned, but, but most believe that he was he drank himself to death. Um, he, he had everything. And when he died, he had no heir, and so his kingdom was divided among four generals. There's the four heads on the beast. Now, the four wings... They speak of the rapid. Now a leopard's fast enough, right? But imagine a leopard that's also got wings. Uh, Alexander conquered very swiftly. And but I want you to notice uh, at the end of that verse, it says dominion was given to it. From man's perspective, man thinks, I've done this all by myself. I'm strong, I'm mighty, I'm powerful. But from God's perspective, it's like, I allowed you to do this. I gave this to you. Uh, Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7, their their dreams are from different perspectives. In in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has the dream, and Daniel interprets it. In Daniel 7, Daniel has the dream, and an angel interprets it. In Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar sees this colossal statue, and he thinks it's a great thing. That's why he builds the, the golden statue. And it looks great, right? The metals and the statue and the power. From God's perspective, how does he see these four kingdoms? He sees them as beasts. It's all about perspective. All right. Let's go on to the next slide. Thank you. We get to beast number four. After this, verse seven, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast. By the way, I know some of y'all like to take notes in this. I'm okay with taking as many as you want. But if, if you can't keep up, just relax. I've got this on file. I can email it to you if you want a copy of it for your own study. <clears throat> Rome had iron teeth. That harkens back to the, to the statue. What was the last empire in Nebuchadnezzar's dream? It was iron. It was in two stages. It was iron, two legs, and then it was iron and clay mixed together. But this is one empire. Now, it devoured and broke in pieces. And it says it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. Now, Rome was different than, than others. Uh, Babylon, Babylon, they conquered, but remember what Nebuchadnezzar did? He tried to assimilate the people, the captives. He, he tried to turn them into assets. Same thing with Cyrus. Cyrus, the History says that Cyrus was a very magnanimous leader. Uh, he, he was not just a, a brutal, ruthless uh, person. Some believe he was saved also, just like Darius and Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Greek, Greek was all about Hellenization. Greek culture. Rome was different. Rome was about submission, power. What they would do is they would surround a city, they'd dig a trench, and they'd starve the people out. And they, would, they were brutal. They were the ones that used the method of crucifixion. That's why Jesus Christ died on a cross, is because Rome, that was their, their, their method of execution. The Jews didn't crucify people. They, they stoned. But even by that time, they didn't stone people anymore. But um, the ten horns correspond to what? The ten toes in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Remember, he had the, two, the feet of clay, the ten toes. Um, the eleventh horn. Verse 8, I considered the horns. Behold, there came up among them another little horn. So remember, there's already ten horns, but the Bible says there's another little horn. That makes eleven, right? I went to Forest Hills, but I still know that that ten plus one is eleven. And you went dancing, so don't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an eleventh horn before whom three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. So in other words, uh, this, this eleventh horn conquered three horns. You know, they had issues with his uh, authority, and I guess he explained it to them a little more <laughs> clearly. And behold, in his horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Okay? So here's how you can remember the fourth kingdom. He's a little horn with a big mouth. Little horn with a big mouth, and that's the description of Antichrist: is that he speaks all these big things. He's all mouth. He just speaks all these great things that he blasphemes God, and he and he uh, he magnifies himself. Second <clears throat> Thessalonians two verses three and four, and Revelation thirteen. Let's look at Revelation thirteen real quick. Hold your place. Revelation 13. Revelation 13, verse 1. It's the last book of the Bible, so it shouldn't take you that long to turn there. Revelation 13, verse 1. John said this, and I stood upon the sand of the sea. So here again we see the sea motif. And I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. He had seven heads and what? Ten horns. And upon his head, horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto what? Leopard. And his feet were as the feet of? Bear. And uh, his mouth is the mouth of what? Lion. Notice this is three kingdoms in reverse. And the dragon, and we know from chapter 12, who is the dragon? Satan. Satan gives him his power. Gave him his power, his seat, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads that were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And we'll talk more about that sometime. Verse 4, they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and worshipped him, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now look at verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things, and blasphemies, and power. There's this big mouth. He's a little horn with a big mouth. Power was given in him to continue 42 months. That's three and a half years. Verse 6, this is interesting. He, was, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and who? them that dwell in heaven who's that? that's us I've often wondered what, what are people going to think about the rapture? how's, there gonna be, how's it going to be explained? and I think the world's going to be so wicked they're going to know we're gone and they're going to be happy about it do you notice he's blaspheming the people that are in heaven? the people that have been taken out of this world? just chew on that we'll, we'll talk about that later But he's got a big mouth. This is also the empire that crucified the Messiah. Do you think for a moment that God's going to let what happened on Calvary go unpunished to Rome? No, sir. No, sir. The people that destroyed his temple in 70 AD, the people that lit up Christians like human torches, the people that fed Christians to the lions, you think God's going to let that go? No, sir. No, ma'am. All right. Let's go to the next slide. Now, the, the, the perspective shifts. We're going back to Daniel 7, from earth to heaven. Verse 9 says, Daniel 7, verse 9, he said, I beheld till the thrones. Is it plural in your Bible? It should be. Now, the King James, unfortunately, says cast down. That's, that's not a great translation there. It should be set in place. All the, the Hebrew, the Aramaic agrees to this. Thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days, that's the Father God. The ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. The throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fires. fiery stream issued and came forth before him, a thousand thousands ministering to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand. Uh, those of you that went to Anson schools, that's a hundred million. Forest Hills people knew that already. We, we didn't need our calculators. I'm just kidding. Y'all going to stone me. I got to shut up. That's a hundred million. And the only reason I know is because I got my calculator out this morning. (laughs) The judgment was set and the books were opened. And I beheld them because of the voice of the great words which the little horn spoke. I beheld till the beast was slain and the body destroyed and giving to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and for a time. All right, the Ancient of Days... This is the first descriptive uh, usage, usage of that in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, and it refers to the Father, God the Father. Now, the Bible says thrones were placed. It's interesting, they're plural. That means that there's more than one throne. Amen? Is that how you're, right? So what are those thrones all about? Well, I'll tease you with it. The book of Revelation says that there's 24 elders that sit upon thrones. The apostle Paul told the Corinthians, he says, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? There's thrones there. Now the white garment is a symbol of holiness. Now the wool is a symbol of purity. It's not a, it's not a symbol of, uh, of ethnicity. It's not a symbol of, of age. Uh, of being a, don't, don't ever think of God as a, a weak old man. And don't call him the man upstairs either. I don't like that. He's God. He's all powerful. He's the one that simply said let there be light and there was. I mean yeah, he's not a decrepit old guy needing help to get him, get him around. No, he's, he's powerful. He's full of vitality. He is, he's all powerful. The fire is the symbol of the Shekinah glory of God. Ezekiel describes these wheels. When you think of the throne of God, we don't often picture wheels and I couldn't speak particularly of them. You know, We're kind of left to the imagination how all of that looks but uh, Ezekiel describes that in chapter 1. Uh, millions of angels. Sometimes we look around and we think about, you ever feel like we're outnumbered? You ever feel like there's just more of the bad guys than there are the good guys? There's not. If God were to open your eyes, you'd see, just like in the days of Elisha, and, and God opened up the eyes, and, and there was more of the good guys than there were the bad guys. I'm greatly condensing a story there. but Yes, tradition holds that a third of the angels fell but guess what? That means two-thirds of them didn't. And I don't think that this millions, a hundred million, is meant to be a, uh, an exhaustive number because in the book of Hebrews it speaks of an innumerable company of angels. And there's going to be a bunch of people, too, in heaven. I hate, I hate it for the Jehovah's Witnesses that think 144,000 is going to go to heaven. I think they changed that after there was more, more than 144,000 that joined their cult. I think they re- rewrote the book, but anyway... Finally, the the beast, this this fourth kingdom, this beast, is thrown into the lake of fire, we see. And that's reminiscent of Revelation 19, verse 20. Let's go to the next slide. Now, at the end of verse 12, it says, Concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season. Babylon was conquered, but it didn't cease to exist. Matter of fact, Alexander used Babylon as his capital. Persia. Persia. And by the way, these countries exist now. Babylon is modern-day Iraq. That's why there was so much intrigue over Saddam Hussein with the Gulf War and all that. Uh, we were we were wrong to predict he was, you know, that that because he died. But these guys are going to be a player in the end times. The Bible says so. Ezekiel thirty-eight says that, that these countries are going to come against Israel, Russia to the north, uh, Turkey, and Iran. Iran is modern-day Persia. When you see Persia in the Bible, it's modern-day Iran. Greece is, of course, the same. Uh, Rome, uh, ancient Rome, never conquered like the others, and so it will be revived in this this last day. Um, the, the The thing about this fourth kingdom is it will have a dramatic end. The beast is thrown into the lake of fire. It's over for him quick, real quick. And there will be some that say, well, all of that happened back in the past. Really? Did I miss? Last time I checked, the devil was still doing his thing. He probably rode to church with some of you. Don't look at your spouse. (laughs) Go to the next slide, please. (laughs) We're almost done, guys. Ezekiel uses the phrase son of man. This is the first time son of man is used in a messianic way. Daniel uses it as a messianic term. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near unto him. What an amazing vision. Daniel sees the Father and the Son. No wonder he, he was, you know, he, he, didn't, he couldn't process that. Can you imagine seeing the Father and the Son and the, the, the false prophet thrown into the lake of fire? Can you imagine? Just, I, I mean, that would be a lot to process, wouldn't it? Even more so than this message this morning. <coughs> One like the Son of Man. Now, Jesus Christ speaks of the Son of Man. Um, now, Psalm 80, verse 17 uses this in a messianic way. Jesus speaks of the Son of Man coming in clouds in great glory. He left in clouds. Remember in Acts chapter 1? said that He was received into a cloud. And He's going to come back with clouds. Matthew 16, verses 27 and 28. Matthew 24, verse 30. Matthew 25, verse 31. Luke 21, verse 27. Revelation 1, verse 7. Jesus is telling us, listen to what Daniel is saying. Listen to what Daniel is teaching, because Christ is the fulfillment of what Daniel is teaching. Christ receives a kingdom that will never be destroyed. In Revelation 5, it's a great dramatic scene. And and I think John is weeping. He's upset, because there's nobody found worthy to loose the scrolls. And most commentators believe that this book in Revelation 5 this, this book that's sealed, it's the title deed to planet Earth. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he gave dominion over to Satan. The Bible says that Satan is right now the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world. Now, God is over him, but Satan, God has permitted Satan to rule in the kingdom of men right now. We've, we've lost dominion. Remember when Jesus was tempted three times? And remember that second temptation? The devil said to you, he said to Jesus, if you'll simply bow down and worship me, he said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus didn't argue with him. You know what? That's why it's a temptation. It was a real thing. And one day Satan will offer the world to a man, the Antichrist, and he will accept the offer. And he will only be able to enjoy that for a short time, though. Christ receives a kingdom which shall never be uh, destroyed. And the passage teaches again, and I don't know why the old the Jewish folks can't see that in their Bible, because Daniel's in the old testament canon of scripture, the Tanakh. It's not in the prophets, it's in the writings. But here we t- see two distinct people, right? We see the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. So, Old Testament, don't say that you can't find Jesus in the Old Testament. He's all over the Old Testament from cover to cover. All right, let's go to the next slide. And guess what? This is the last one. Some of you are thinking, yes! Class is almost over. Notice the effect of Daniel's body. See, my grandson acting up. Y'all made him cry. He, he could sense your enthusiasm to get out of here, and he's crying on my behalf. He said, don't treat my papa like that. <clears throat> Notice the effect on Daniel's body, verse 1. Excuse me, 15. Y'all really got nervous when I said verse 1, didn't you? Oh, my goodness. Okay. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. That's the way I felt this week about Tuesday. <laughs> I was like, God, my head's going to explode. Interesting, the the Hebrew word here used for uh, body is sheath. Sheath. Um, So the Bible portrays our spirit as a a sword in the sheath of our body. This body, this outward thing, this is not the real you. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's a part of you that's that's the sword in the sheath, and it will live on forever and one day get a glorified body. And, And here's another thing I want to just bring out. Sometimes we get so cocky, we come out here with our charts and graphs, and, and we act like we've got it all figured out. Daniel just said, this was overwhelming. Can we just come to this kind of stuff with some humility, please? And say, I don't, listen, I think I've built a pretty good case for the four beasts, but, but I'll, be, I'll admit to you, I don't know everything about Bible prophecy. Nobody does. Nobody does. How many prophecies about the first coming, and yet everybody missed it when Jesus came? Um, so let's be humble. 16, I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth, and so he told me and made known the interpretation of things. And then he gives a summary. The angelic interpreter gives a summary. He says, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings. So hearkening back to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, you've got the, the, the gold, the silver, the brass, and the iron, and the iron, and then there's the toes of clay and iron, but that's just one, that's just one unit, so there's only four kings. There's only four kingdoms. By the way, the United States didn't rise out of the Mediterranean Sea. The United States has never been a beast conquering uh, other people. Uh, Contrary to what they teach in the schools now, America is not the great evil. This is the greatest country in the world. And we're a friend of Israel. We're not an enemy of Israel. You know how the Bible, whenever nations are spoken about in the Bible, it's, it's not because they're significant in and of themselves, but it's because of their relationship to Israel. The reason the Philistines are in the Bible is not because they were some great, amazing country. They don't even exist anymore. But it's because of their relationship to Israel. When you see nations in the Bible, they're only mentioned because of their, their significance, is only because they're a part of the overarching arc of the story of the people of God, Israel. So here he uses earth and sea idiomatically in verse 17. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. The book of Daniel addresses all these four empires, just like Nebuchadnezzar's dream. I want you to notice the similarity. Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel both have a dream. And in that dream, there are four empires. They are less in value, greater in strength. But what happens to all those four kingdoms? In both dreams, they are conquered by Messiah. In, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he's a stone without, cut without hands. In Daniel's dream, he's the son of man taking the, the authority from the ancient of days. But they both describe four empires destroyed in a moment of time by the son of God. He will come. So what does that have to do with anything? How does that help me? You may be asking yourself, well, first of all, we see from the Bible. If if you'll stay with me through Daniel, this will galvanize your belief that the Bible is the word of God. Because history is his story. All of history is God's story. And it's being worked out just like God said it would. The reason you turn on the news at night, and I wouldn't recommend doing that too often, especially if you've got blood pressure problems. But if you watch the news, you see the Bible is coming true before your very eyes before your very eyes. Everything that God predicted in the past has happened in precise detail. When you get to the latter chapters of Daniel, you're going to see tremendous precision when God predicts Alexander the Great and the Ptolemies and the Seleucids and all that stuff. But it is history. And here's what we have to keep in mind. This book was not written initially to America, Christians sitting here in the year 2021. Who was it written to? It was written to Hebrews who had had all of their hopes dashed in pieces. Their country had been conquered, their temple had been destroyed, and they had been taken hostage in a foreign land. It doesn't get much worse than that if you're a Hebrew. From all all their human perspective, all hope is gone. They have no reason to believe things will ever get better. You ever feel that way? Yeah. Sometimes you feel that way in your life. You say, God, I just don't think things will ever get any better. This book is written to encourage the saints. This book is written to say to you and me, no matter what we're going through today, we've read the end of the book and God's people win. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. In all of these things, nothing separates us from the love of God. Not sickness, not disease. And the Apostle Paul says, not even death can separate us from the love of God. Life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was true for the Hebrews. It's true for you, it's true for me. No matter what we go through, would you stand this morning? This thing is winding up, folks, soon and very soon. That fourth beast is coming on the scene. And he's worse than anything you've ever imagined. Jesus said that that period of time is going to be so bad that unless the time was shortened, and it'll be shortened to a period of seven years, unless that time was shortened, nobody would be able to survive. The world would be extinct. And you don't want to be here for that. But the only way you're going to be able to escape that is if you are born again a member of God's church, a member of the body of Christ. Amen. And some of us might die before all that happens. Some of us might die before the end times. So we need to make it sure that we know that we know that we know. It's not enough to think. Don't, don't tell me, yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. If you think you might be lost, you probably are lost. you got to know that you know that you know that you're saved. Jesus Christ came to this world. He died for you and for me, and he, he was crucified. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again the third day. And it sounds so simple that it can't be true, but I'm telling you, it sounds too good to be true, but it's true. The Bible says if you believe, if you believe in your heart and you confess boldly, proclaim that Jesus is Lord, with your mouth you'll be saved. For with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Would you come this morning, just as I am?